Today's podcast is not appropriate for children. If you are a middle schooler, please turn this off and go work on a comic. Thank you. Today on Sagittarian Matters, I talk comics and coming out as crazy with Ellen Forney. But first, a bit of advice with series regular Michelle T. Stay tuned. What do you do if people are starting rumors about you? Uh well, nothing really. I mean, there's really nothing to do, I don't think. I've had rumors started about me. Okay, what kinds of rumors? There's like this crazy rumor going around San Francisco that I was just like an enemy of trans people for a minute. I don't know where it came from. But you were a tranemy? Um, I was a big tranemy. Yeah. And it's just like, you can't, I think like, it's like I felt like I couldn't even justify it by arguing it. I was like, let's let the record speak for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like, you know, because also there's that thing, like, I don't know what, I mean, if somebody says, like, you actually did something and you didn't do it, I mean, that's clearly a rumor, but something can just, like, be like, I don't know, like, is that a matter of someone's opinion? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, maybe somebody thought that something that I legitimately did was legitimately bad for trans people, and therefore I was a trans me. Like, I don't know, you know? And then it's just kind of like, well, there's really... What do you want to do? Convince somebody that that you're not that. And then even know. if you convince them, they're not going to like go undo the rumor. Yeah, you're not going to undo the rumor. I think it's really good. I'm somebody who's always had a horrible time sitting with the idea that people might not like me because I just fancy myself a very likable person, and I it makes me so anxious to think that I'm disliked. That like, you know, historically, like when I was younger, like. Like really young, like junior high, but even even in my twenties and stuff like that, like my my inclination, it would make me so so um, uncomfortable that I would want to get near who the people that I knew didn't like me to sort of show them that I'm totally likable and they should <laughs> like me. And it's just like the worst thing in the world. So I ended up hanging out with like these people who like literally like didn't like me, but like I don't know why they were hanging out with me. But it was like this terrible tense friendship where I always felt like I was having to prove that I like wasn't the person that they thought that I was Mm -hmm. and it's like maybe I am the person they thought that I was and they don't like those kinds of people and it's fine like they don't have to like I don't know it's so it's so weird I mean it's so upsetting to feel like you're not in control of your own story in that way you're not in control of how people are what people are thinking about you but none of us ever really are I had to detach from it and just be like, all right, just please don't tell me about it. Yeah, like you don't need to know about it. You don't need to have friends, quote friends, like sharing that kind of information with you. It's not helpful. It's not a real friendly Um, thing to do. They'll just correct the rumor and like never even let you know that it was spoken. Um, Yeah. I found out, I asked this question to Tara Perkins too, so I might be, um, so maybe our answers will go back to back with Tara Perkins' answer. But I found out, that an ex-girlfriend spread a rumor about me that when I was in that two-person band and we would wear horse mm-hmm. masks, there was a rumor going around, started by an ex-girlfriend, that the horse mask thing was a kink and that we would wear them while we were having sex. Me and my bandmate. What? Yeah. Isn't Are you that- sure that person just didn't say it? It's like a joke? Oh, no. And they- somebody took it seriously no they were serious basically when i was in the band factor fiction it was a two-person band and we were dating each other and there was another local band and um blah 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 blah. basically yeah somebody with too much time on their hands who wanted to think about it a little bit hard um started a rumor (laughs) with basically like oh for sure those two those two have sex with those horse masks on it's it's a fetish like it's like, basically, I think it was that, like, my bandmate, like, that was her fetish. And then I was, the rumor was, like, that I was just going along with it. Like, it was a fully oh. formed story arc of my older girlfriend conning me into wearing a plastic, a rubber horse mask while we had sex. None of which is true, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, 
I'm like, it doesn't sound beyond you, frankly. <laughs> well, you also, you also it's wrongly. So funny. I'm trying to think. I know there's been other rumors spread about me too, but I can't remember. I don't know what they are. I don't think I've ever heard any rumors about you, Nicole. About me? No, I've never heard any rumors about you. Thank you. None that weren't true. I mean, it's okay if people want to say something that's true. Well, then it's not a rumor. Then no. people are just, like, talking about your life. Yeah. Which is the other hand. It's like, I mean, if somebody's going out of their way to, like, make up a story about you, like, maybe that's interesting. That is interesting. I think that's, you know what? I just found out that Gwen Stefani and Blake Shelton are actually paying people to do that, to talk about their relationship. So that was actually a huge well, savings for me to have people <laughs> talking about my relationship at the time. For no money at all. Totally. And putting this, like, weird... It's, like... And it, it shows you such this, like, interesting light where it's, like, kind of perverse, but, like, you're kind of, like, the victim in it. But, like, not, not a real victim, but, like, maybe there's something... I don't know. There's something tragic, yet sexy and mysterious. I don't know. It's very interesting. It's, like, a little SVU, rumor. a little eyes wide shut. Yeah. <laughs> like, it definitely casts you in a mysterious, like, an intriguing, mysterious light. I like so, the idea that it... Well, like somebody saying you're a tranny, which is so, like... <laughs> no, that's much worse. Dad. Like, I'd much rather have a rumor that an ex made me have sex wearing a horse mask. <laughs> I mean... Personally. I do think that maybe there was a certain point where the straight men in my life thought that I was... Would exaggerate my, how mean I was. Uh-huh. Um, and then I would just find evidence of it around. Like, they would draw comics where I was always, like, sweating... Or had jagged teeth, like sharp teeth, or was like <laughs> smacking, smacking a boyfriend. Um, oh my god! Like these very, very exaggerated things about me, and very exaggerated things about the meanness of my dog Beja, where people would be like, "I heard Beja bit, you know, bit this person or attacked this, you know," and I was like, "Ah, you know, maybe she like knocked over a baby before, but she doesn't have rabies. She didn't viciously attack anybody." You know. So that's a rumor. That would be a rumor. I think that the exaggeration... But then is, if somebody just thought you were mean, that could just be their opinion. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's fine. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Too bad. Sorry you couldn't take it. Couldn't handle it. <laughs> Sorry, you're such a wimp. <laughs> but, um, oh, you told me that somebody wrote on the bathroom wall at the Lexington Club, Michelle T. and Cindy Anderson are like the... Number one. Ego freaks of the universe. Ego freaks of the universe. Yeah. Which brings me to this idea that Beth Ditto and I were talking about on an episode of the podcast, which is that it doesn't seem that awful for a woman or an othered person to have an ego or to be in charge of, I don't know, their own confidence or promoting their own things. It's like not such a crime because no one else is going to do that for them. Certainly the outside world doesn't do that for them. I mean, this happened, that that was written during a time when, like, Sister Spit was really kind of surging in popularity. We were about to go on our first tour. We had a lot of support. We've been doing fundraising all year around. So we were taking up a lot of cultural space, mm-hmm. but we were also taking up that space to also share it with other people, yeah. you know, which is a whole other thing. I mean, it would have been fine, possibly, if we weren't, but, because I agree. It's like, if you're an artist, you just need to put yourself out there. And um, the, the, the graffiti was in the Lexington Club, so maybe other other women were feeling oppressed by our feminist confidence. I don't know. <laughs> like, but I wonder, like, if there's if we're believing that there's not actually a scarcity, and that you guys can take up space, but also other people can take up space too, and there's enough space for more than one person, or more absolutely. than one, more than yeah, one project. Absolutely. It's like, why don't you do a tour? And give me a flyer about it, and I'll come to it, you know, yeah. or, like, whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah, maybe you should utilize some of the same fundraising things that you're obviously feeling, you know, like, overwrought by that these other people are doing. <clears throat> yeah. You know how gay people are, being a gay person yourself. I mean, it's like if somebody kind of accepts such taking up a lot of space, it's like, they get very quickly turned on, you know? Yeah. I don't understand why it needs to be so, but I've seen it happen in many, many occasions. It's kind of like you become public property. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I think that there is a tendency 
among queers, some queers to over identify with oppression and obscurity. So if it seems like somebody's busting out of that and getting positive attention and maybe being less obscure, it's like a betrayal, so you have to hate them. I drove to Seattle last week to see Beyonce, but beforehand, I was delighted to sit at the table of Ellen Forney to talk about comics while we ate microwave burritos. Ellen Forney is a New York Times best-selling cartoonist, and also, she's a teacher. Ellen is the author of the book Marvels, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me, a graphic memoir, and she's been making many, many comics about her delightful life for a very long time with titles such as I Was 7 and 75 and I Love Led Zeppelin. In this interview, we discuss comics, getting personal with your work, and the brave act of coming out is crazy. We also mention Holly Bemis, our mutual literary agent. Shout out to Holly Bemis. Now please enjoy my interview with Ellen Forney. Just, it's like, a, I was talking to someone today, I was talking to Allison today, and I was like, it's like making a recipe with like a million different ingredients and two million steps. <laughs> making a graphic novel or making a graphic memoir. Well, I think maybe even, even we forget, even we cartoonists forget, perhaps, that how much um, visuals are a language a storytelling language. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that we don't, it does, that it doesn't make sense to tell both that yeah. it's, 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 well, I don't know, I guess like it's redundant doing... is the, is the thing, but that it's, it also takes away from your storytelling. It's like an echo. You yeah. Know, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost distracting. I think like, unless there's a real purpose for mm-hmm. this to be shown twice. Humor. Humor is one. Yes. The humorous <laughs> one. I'm happy. Happy. Right, Look. Right, right. Ellen Forney, we're sitting at your table. Yes. In Seattle. Yes. I'm going to say Beyonce soon. <laughs> I wish that you and Beyonce... This is... So you and Beyonce are on my to-do list today. And I, I am definitely the only person in Seattle whose to-do list is Ellen Forney and Beyonce. I believe that that is true. I believe that that is true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy to be here. And you just fed me a burrito. I did. And, um, but I have a question for you. I have a lot of questions for you. Okay. Because we're recording the podcast. Yeah. Sagittarian Matters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, I don't know, how long do you, how much do you think someone should have worked, should work in comics? Or how many comics should one do to feel ready to do a graphic no- memoir? Does that make uh, sense? Or a graphic novel? Like... If you could go back and talk to your former self, or if a young person came to you and said, I'm a young cartoonist, I want to do a 300-page book. Right. Like, what advice would you give them? Right. Oh, well, of course, there's no neat answer to that. Um, I mean, everyone could do whatever they want. Sure. Right. Exactly. It depends on what you want to do. I mean, like, if you don't care if it's something that you're going to print online and three people are going to buy it or want it, then, mm-hmm. you know, do what you want. If you, if you just want to, you know, like have a web comic and, you know, do that for years and then put it together. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, it's, it's going to, it's probably going to look less polished or professional if you're an amateur, like mm-hmm. if you haven't done if you haven't done a lot of comics and you don't know what it's like even to do a 20-page comic, mm-hmm. then you're just setting up a really big task for yourself. You personally, you've done a lot of, you've done mm. years of comics. You've done shitloads of comics. <laughs> Shit, tons of comics. Pages and pages and pages. I mean, thousands of pages of comics, perhaps. Right. Right. And you did collections... But was Marbles your first linear graphic memoir? Yes. And how long? And so you had been doing comics for how many years by that point? Well, let's see. I I consider 1992 to be my official starting point of being a professional cartoonist. And yeah, I, for I would say that for years I was uh, I would say graphic essayist. 
Mm. Mostly shorter, mostly shorter pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and like one pagers. Um, my, my comic, I was seven and 75. Mm-hmm. Um, that got collected into monkey food, but I have been doing that for years. How many years? From 93 to 2000, 2000? Was it in The Stranger? It was in it was in a music paper here called The Rocket. Oh yeah, I remember that. And then really? That folded shortly after I moved to Portland, I think. Mm. I moved to Portland in two thousand. Uh, so it must have ended in like two thousand and one. Yeah. Or something. Anyway. Um and but I moved I moved to The Stranger actually a lot earlier than that. Mm. Um because the, the the well whatever. I moved it to the Stranger earlier than that. And that was really my training grounds. And you can see this is another thing about if um, if a book is your is kind of where you polish your work, you can see a real difference from how it looks on the pages that you start with, which mm-hmm. is usually the beginning, mm-hmm. to the end. Like your style changes. Yeah, um, that doesn't happen so much later on once you've been. Um, I'm still answering that first question. <laughs> I mean, I, for no. me, I, it's hard because the, I find it, students seem disheartened when I tell them that. Mm. But I'm like, you really need to shelve that really long right. idea and work on a lot of shorter ideas. Right. Because sometimes people have been dragging a story idea around for years right. and years and years. Right. But to me, I guess it wasn't disheartening because it felt wise because if you get yourself in years deep in a project... And your style changes dramatically, or you realize you don't like it anymore, or something else. You realize something else, and you've sunk years of work into something. That's going to be way more disheartening, right? Than somebody saying "chill" till the next episode, like just chill. I um I teach. Did you know I teach at Cornish yes. College of the Arts? That's why I was partially excited to talk to you because teachers know how to talk about. <laughs> it's well. Uh, a lot of, I guess, new cartoonists, like new enthusiastic cartoonists, remember those days? Mm. I mean, not that I'm not so enthusiastic, but um, for, for their BFA projects, a lot of students want to do either a graphic novel or, uh, or like a really good first half of a graphic novel, something mm-hmm. like that. And I, uh, I almost always encourage them to, to do something shorter how short? Twelve pages, mm-hmm. um, and really pour yourself into it and polish it. That—that's mm-hmm. the thing that I think a lot of new cartoonists tend to do, and I'm sure you did, and I know I did, which is to um, to want to get done as much as possible and to leave off that last ten percent, maybe mm-hmm. of of really honing it, like really revising, like yeah. that kind of thing doesn't tend to come into the, 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 the time frame, the timeline, the, like the things that you, that you plan to do. And so uh, I think it is, um, it is, it's almost a luxury, uh, to really spend enough time on your comics. Yeah. I mean, do you know, like, yeah. like, you know, like you're always like, ah, oh, you know, well, good enough, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like, like take the, take the time to make it more than good enough. Make it good. Yeah. Like take, take the time to do that. And that's, that's often smaller chunks. But it's also figuring out what that is for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like what good is like, just by doing comics, you get to see what your best looks like right. versus what your mediocre looks like. And when you're first starting, if you barely have a handle on composition and writing and everything right. together at the same time and how you want to finish it, and you maybe don't even know what your best is yet. But you have explored that area. But yes. just saying that I'm sure you've seen as well. I, I keep doing this. And you as well, I'm me, sure. Me too. Uh, the, there, there are students and people who are just starting out that just blow me away. They just, mm-hmm. they just have, either they just have a knack or they really do just like pull, pull out the stops. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I didn't believe that that person could do all of that in a week. Mm-hmm. And she did. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
so there again, perhaps it's not wise and perhaps it's a risk to to head off down that path of I'm going to do, you know, like I've only been doing comics for, you know, a month and I'm going to yeah. do a 300 page graphic <laughs> memoir. <laughs> but um, who, who are we? You know, it's not wise and it's a risk, but it, it could work out. I think I want to make a safe house for those people where I have them kidnapped, like in an intervention, <laughs> and then I have them kidnapped their loved one stage in an intervention where they tell me, like, this person's been making comics for less than a year. They're about to embark on a graphic memoir. Yeah. And then I send out my team of people. We put them in a gunny sack. We take them to the safe house. When they come out of the safe house, there's, like, you know, uh, drafting tables and lots of different tools. But they're not allowed more than, like, four pieces of paper at a time. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see how they do. Maybe we have group therapy every day to talk about Workshopping—it's like it's like my version of like having my own cartoon college versus wanting to control other people's choices. It's uh-huh. <laughs> the combination uh-huh. of those things. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, if somebody were to come to me, like you, exact, yeah. like exactly what you just said. Yeah. You know, like, what would your advice be if someone were to come to me, and I would say that that's probably a stretch, and you're probably not going to be able to do your best work. You might be disappointed. You, there might be a better direction and a way for you to go about this and prioritizing and, and learning the craft maybe a little bit in a way that you find more satisfying first before embarking on that. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, to be like, you know, but what, where to follow your muse, yeah. you know? So I just, I'm like, if you want to make, a, like if you could make a 12-page story that grabs me and makes me so excited to read more, it could be that that is a chapter in that ends up in your giant graphic novel. Right. But this is your 12 pages you have to suck me into your world. Mm-hmm. And tell, make me ask you for more mm-hmm. of that world mm-hmm. or more of those characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, I mean, it's like there's no shame in like taking your time or just not. I'm, I'm very into like um, expectation management mm-hmm. and setting myself up for success. Right. So not doing things that are just like, you know, like doing things in chunks enough that I'll feel a reward from. Right, right, right. But all that said, you have been doing comics for at least 15 or 20 years before you started Marvels? Um, <laughs> let's see. I, uh, I, well, I can tell you, I can tell you about like the beginnings of yeah. Marbles. Yeah. So I had been, uh, I had been, I had been thinking about doing it for years before I actually even sat down to do a proposal. Um, So I would say I was, I was diagnosed bipolar in um, 1998, just before my 30th birthday. Mm -hmm. And um, it was even during the time of, that I describe in Marbles, the next four years of, of really struggling to try to figure out how to be healthy and stable. Um, and it was during that time that I realized that I really wanted to deal with this in a comic. There was, there was, some, there was some, some absurd thing that came up in my psychiatrist's office, and I can't remember what made me think that. And it was something like how I couldn't remember to take my lithium because it makes your memory bad, like some yeah. catch-22 or some yeah. something, uh, or how difficult it is, or th- I don't even remember what. Yeah. That I wanted to deal with it in a comic, but at that point, like I said, I was a graphic essayist. Yeah. I'm like, what am I going to do in, in one page, say, of how horrible it was to get my meds at Costco? Yeah. Right? Because yeah. I, I mean, like, what? I'm going to come out in the first two panels and then talk about getting met. You know, yeah. like, there was no way. Um, and plus, I, I really, so logistically, that no, and, and I just wasn't ready to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just much. So that's a big deal. Felt much too vulnerable. Yeah. The coming out. Yeah. <laughs> there are yeah. very few people, I feel, that come out about mental health things unless they absolutely have to. Oh. You know? Yeah. It's. it's Hard. Was, I was terrified. Yeah. Even when Marbles was about to come out, yeah. I was terrified. What did I mean? I guess that's what bravery is—is is doing something even though you're scared of it. Well, that's the—that's the, yeah. But what did that's you, the wisdom, right? It's not that you're not scared; it's that you do it anyway. 
Was there anything that you told yourself or were like, I don't know, how did you do it? Or how did you mentally prepare yourself to do that or insulate yourself or be like, okay. If- right. Well, so it was a process. Oh, yeah. So, um, so I had thought about it for years. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's yeah, kind yeah. of like getting into that a- answer. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it was years before I really felt um, that I was stable enough that I would be able to deal with being out. Mm-hmm. Um, and knew that, you know, like, that, you know, like it was okay. You know, people might question my actions in the past. You know, because maybe she was just crazy, and yeah. I had I had all sorts of um, apprehensions, uh, but I felt like I felt like it was an important story to tell for a number of reasons, but and partly because I had managed to make it, because I had managed to make it, and yeah. that I had f- figured out like a bunch of tools, you know, and that um, that I really could have used something like a comic, you know, a graphic memoir, say, that was full of information. Yeah. Um, Because I I know that memoirs, there were were a few memoirs that were really important to me after I was diagnosed. And it's just, it's an incredible feeling to feel like you have company when you're feeling really alone and hopeless. And then the other thing was that um, I was... I was really afraid, especially in the beginning, that I wasn't going to be creative again. I just felt yeah. so um, so flattened, I guess, or and fearful, and um, and these. So it was William Styron, "Darkness Visible," and um, "An Unquiet Mind" mm-hmm. by Kay Jameson. That they came through the other side and and wrote these books. And they were creative. They created these books. So maybe maybe I could be creative again. Yeah. And that was really important. And so I felt like I had things to say that other people would benefit from. It gave me a real sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, it was, but it was also really frightening. So um, in 2008... I started writing the proposal. Mm-hmm. It took me two years. Uh, it was, which is, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of long for a proposal. Were you working with Holly at that point? Uh, was I working with Holly at that point? Yes. So your yes. proposal, just because people have asked me before. Right. My, I think I saw the proposal for Marbles when I was, as an example, oh. when I was working on my proposal. Uh-huh. Um, given under strict confidence of never showing anyone this proposal, right. but just looking at the format of it, right. sure, sure. like here's what the cover would look like, like it's table of contents, and then you're actually describing what goes into every chapter right. in the table of contents, and you're giving a few sample pages. Right, right. Was yours more thorough than that, or was that how many pages That's... did you have to have kind of finished ish? Well, um, I. So there are the so there okay so there's the there's the the cover which doesn't necessarily have to be the cover that it winds right. up with and mine didn't although it was based on that I don't I don't know if you you probably don't remember it was a sketch that's also in in marbles that has like a little tiny cartoony me on this really really rocky precipice kind of uh, terrain with all of these huge like spheres like mm-hmm. heavy looking spheres above me and I'm just like looking up with these huge huge eyes and um, that was from my sketchbook from my depression sketchbook and mm-hmm. I just used that for the cover of the proposal mm-hmm. and my editor told me that she really liked it and that I needed to do I needed to do my cover remember I was just telling you about before we started recording about how how tremendously intense my penciling and inking and finalizing yes. process was that all of a sudden and I, t- and I told you I was working, like, all day, every day, pretty much. Yeah. She was like, oh, and you have to do the cover. I'm like, oh, you know, like, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah there's always stuff that's going to come up. By the time I was asked to do the cover for Calling Dr. Laura, which is a reasonable thing to ask somebody <laughs> who's doing a visual book, a visual right. artist who's to cover their own book, I was just like, oh, God, like, I was so tired by that point. Right. Because it happens kind of towards the end of the process when I you're know, hustling to get everything else done. Don't you know I'm busy? <laughs> I'm too busy. 
So I I love that cover, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, I, I love the I love the phone with the with the. It's a real phone yeah. I have. Is that really? I would love to show it to you anytime in Portland. Uh, deal. But by that time, I was just like I was like fucking hate this cover, fucking hate this title. <laughs> I didn't. I don't even know if this book is good because like I just was in right. such a. I mean, this was like four years later, where I was working in a vacuum, and the only people I would talk to were this rotating door of editors. And then my agent, who's, like, endlessly supportive. Right. Like, I really... She, like, took me off the ledge many times. She's the greatest. She loved my book when it could not love itself. Mm. Oh. Yes. (laughs) 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 When Colin and I was just like, oh, I just... Yeah. I was happy to have people like that. Because by that point, you're so fried. Right. Do you know what? She did the same... Actually... Oh, my God. But I love all these things now, by the way. I should say... um, So, during my proposal... Yeah. Uh, th- during that two-year process, you're right. She talked me down from the ledge too, right? I don't even remember that. There, there. I remember one time in particular where I was like, "I can't. This isn't gonna. I don't." And for whatever reason, I decided I didn't have a story. Like I couldn't do it. I felt like I couldn't do it. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't remember telling myself I can't do this because I am feeling too vulnerable and raw. I remember feeling. I did not feel that. I, I, or maybe I did. Uh, some, to some degree, I was mostly feeling like, I don't, I don't it's, it's not gelling. It's not coming together. Yeah. I'll do something else. And I remember suggesting to her that I do a, a biography, that I do someone <laughs> else's story. And I had just, I went to the same, um, I went to Wesleyan where Dar Williams oh. went. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I had just read an article about her in our, you know, like in the Wesleyan magazine that I get. And I was like, I'll just, I'll do a biography of her. And Holly was like, well, and like, she just, she kind of like very gently, like, like what do you kind of like over the phone took me by the hand and it's just like, you know that I can see where you're coming from with that. And you just like, basically like led me back to where I needed to be. Yeah. To, to value what it was that I was doing and what we and that we remember that we've been talking about these different things and just like kind of reminding reminding yeah. me of of my my the direction yeah. that that I had already set out to to do yeah. and was still valid but was and essentially was was scaring me I suppose yeah, yeah. um because, I mean, it took two years to do partly just... It was a lot of emotional processing to do at the same time yeah. as getting it down as a story, you know? Question. Did you... Like, for my book, I felt like I had to go out of my way, like, have a day by myself where, like, I want to be vulnerable with my readers. I'm not totally... Like, there's not an exact formula of how to be vulnerable. So I was like, I'm going to write about the most embarrassing thing I can think of the most shameful thing to me mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna put that in my book so I like had to like how did you choose or go through with putting things in your book that would feel embarrassing or scary or vulnerable or how did I do it yeah or would paint because I mean in a book you're writing you're like oh I want to make my character imperfect and then people will like them and but then when right. it's you you're like right. this is me now I have to walk around right 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 um well it's tricky, huh? Especially since you're stylizing everything because mm-hmm. it's a because it's a memoir because yeah. that's what you do with memoir. Well, there were a couple of things. Um, let's see. One one thing that I would come back to, I found myself coming back to a fair bit was um, be honest, and some of that is just simply avoiding cliches. Mm-hmm. Like it's very easy to make a story pat. Yeah. Um, even if you don't mean to, you know, like, like, uh, like something weird, you know, like I embarrass myself at that. This isn't a real example. Like I embarrass myself, like here, let's say over dinner and I, and I walked outside and said, well, there goes that friendship or I don't know yeah. what, something very pat like that, yeah. something you would very ex- much expect. And sometimes I would find myself kind of like fall, falling in there. That's wait, that's not, that's not really how it happened. Yeah. And it maybe is something a little, um, a little either more embarrassing or, or, or less 
Mm. Um, the, the, the thing that, oh, of the many things that makes it, I was just flooded with a lot of different directions about, you know, like depicting yourself and depicting yourself honestly, uh, and embarrassing things. Mania was much more difficult, uh, embarrassing wise than depression. To write about? To write about. Um, depression is easy to get sympathy for in a way because if you feel like total crap everybody's felt like total crap sometimes and you're just pathetic writing about yourself when you feel like you're on top of the world and Mm -hmm. the, 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 the sexiest and most important and et cetera et cetera yeah um it's harder to feel compassion for that character and that I mean like I I was having a hard time. Like, what am I going to do? Draw myself walking into a room and being everybody being like, the what? Like, how do you depict that? I'm the greatest yeah. here. Yeah. And um, and actually, in the in a, I had originally drawn my manic self annoying the people around me. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, like being like, you know, calm down, kind of. Yeah. And, um, and I, I talked with my friends and family and everybody who was in the book, partly, partly to get their take on the stories. Like, do you, do you remember, Dad, when we sat down on the picnic bench and talked about when I told you I was bipolar? Yeah. Like, Dad and I talked about that. Yeah. You know, I talked with my ex-girlfriend about that time that I went, you know right after I really fell into depression. Did she remember that? And, mm-hmm. and we talked for a long time in a way that we had never talked about before yeah. about, about um, how hard it was to deal with me, in particular when I was manic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was feeling very conscious of that. But then another friend of mine who is Xanthope in the book with all the blonde curly hair, I remember t- telling her that when we were talking but in person, you know, like about, yeah, uh, what I was like, and do you yeah. remember these scenes? And me saying something about what a pain I was, and and she gave me this look, and she said, "You, you were, no, I didn't see it that way at all. You were really mm-hmm. charismatic. You know, you walked into a room, and you really owned the room, and blah blah blah. Like it, it really turned me around." to being more sympathetic with my manic self. Yeah. Um, I've had to do that. It's, it's, it's harder. It's, it, yeah, it is harder. And I, I don't think that there are that, there aren't that many examples of self forgiveness mm. in that way. Mm. Does that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or generosity to yourself, especially when you're being grand or something. Right. Out, out in the world. I don't know. Like, yeah. And I've also never... I don't think I've seen that many depictions of mania. It, it, you know, like, maybe, like... Dear God, if you haven't already seen it, please do not watch the show Empire because there's a bipolar <laughs> character that is, like, a horrid caricature. But it's, you know, it's, like, a thing that, like, makes it this... just totally wild thing that, you know, that you're like, is that real? But there's never a thing where someone's like, I was going through this thing... And it wasn't actually a problem that much for the people around me, but I actually now see. Right. Well, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't, it wasn't. It depended on who it was. Yeah. Um, uh, so that was difficult yeah. for me to figure yeah. out how, just finessing that. And I think I, I, think I, I wound up landing um, where I pretty much comfortable I got to use a lot of devices that we get to use in comics. I came up with a whole lot of different icons. Mm-hmm. The, the the way that I drew my eyes was very different. People have told me it looks like spiders, which is about right. Oh. Like they're really, yeah. they're dots. They're like big dots with lashes. Yeah. And um, so there's something kind of really intense and at the same time kind of like, you know, um, and, um, and like stars and... Um, other signifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing uh, was pot. Um, 
I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to include anything about smoking pot. So in the book, just for reader, for uh-huh. listeners who haven't read it, you are smoking pot and you're trying all these different medications and they're not totally working. And then you have to come clean with your therapist or psychiatrist that you are right. still smoking pot while you're right. trying all these things. Right. Right. And then they said that that's why they're not working. No. Well, I think, um, let's see. Or were you just meaning like you didn't want to show you, you smoked pot at all just because? I, I was going to, so, so, um, at that point, I started smoking when I was in 10th grade, kind of sort of normal mm-hmm. city teenager. Yeah. Um, and I really think that I was never a super heavy user. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, at the, when I was diagnosed, I was smoking pretty much every day. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a, you know, significant. Yeah. But I always felt like I, I had it, uh, that I would take care of, like after being di- diagnosed, it was kind of like, it was my thing. Mm-hmm. Like every, like everything, you know, like this is this enormous monkey ape on my back. Yeah. I'm going to like, this thing is mine. Like I'm, I'm kind of, yeah. I don't, I don't want to stop smoking pot. I have to stop everything. I have to learn way too much new. So, um, so I really just kind of kept that as my own thing. And yeah. I had like a ton of different ways that I rationalized, um, uh, that. Yeah. Um, and then really it was after I had been, I was really stabilizing when, um, I was having some trouble with my memory, mm-hmm. which is something that I had had a problem with on lithium. And I was thinking that, um, so this is the story that I, that yeah. I told in the book too, um, that, um, maybe I needed, maybe I needed to change my dose of lithium. And this, and at that point I was smoking every day again. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't been, but at that point I was. Um, and actually I hadn't smoked pot in a long time at that, around then. And then, uh, I was dating somebody who was a pot dealer. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I was, so I was smoking again. Yeah. Um, and I thought that I, that you know, like, okay, well, the, need to need to adjust the lithium. And she was in the middle of, of like, huh? And you know, like looking back at my chart and you know how much I was on, and and I realized that it had been that stability had been so hard won, and I really really finally seemed to be having my meds together mm-hmm. and that I needed to try stopping smoking period yeah and um and so uh so anyway so that's the story I tell in marbles I wasn't going to include that aspect of the story I um and here again like being compassionate with yourself yeah um I felt like I felt like it would be inconsistent with my character, like mm-hmm. as a fighter to try to, you know, like I'm going to do what I can to be stable, Yeah, you know, that it, that it would work against me as a character to be smoking pot. Like, like it just didn't seem like it would, like it would either be inconsistent or you know, yeah. whatever, wouldn't have sympathy for the character or whatever. Um, but as I was doing, I did a lot of research for marbles. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I, that I found is that the vast, God, I want to say majority, sign- I think majority of, um, people who are bipolar have issues of some sort with, um, drugs and alcohol. Mm. And, and so once Knowing that what I'm doing is I'm trying to benefit other bipolar people. Yeah. Primi- I mean, of the, of the many people. Yeah. Benefit very specifically people like me. Yeah. That so many have issues with drugs and alcohol. That how can I say without just sounding like 
in, I'm in complete denial. Yeah, but I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I don't want to, you know, like, yeah. I don't need to put it in here because why? Yeah. So, so that, that was really hard. That was one place where I felt like the story, um, the story made that decision for me. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I had to fess up. That was in marbles, like fess up, not just to my psychiatrist, but to my, to myself, to my story, to my future readers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just like take a step back and, and tell it and just, you know, be kind to yourself and try not to be judgmental. Yeah. And find yourself being judgmental, figure out how to accept what yeah. who you are, I guess. So that, that was a tough one. Yeah. yeah. It just seems like if your balance is already in jeopardy, you're already kind of you're finding the balance um, in your mind of all the things, adding something extra to it, that is that could potentially be a downer. Well, like and just saying something is wrong, bad, wrong, no, you know, that's no. not that's not realistic. And I think it's the kind of thing that people fall into with, let's say, diets. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, it's kind of like, like if I eat a lot of gluten, it doesn't feel great. Right. But if I'm like, but I want to, if I want to eat pizza, the joy it gives me, I just get to do that cost benefit analysis. Cost benefit analysis. But I know the, the potential worst outcome versus the potential best outcome. And then right. I'll move forward with that pizza. Right. Anyway. Exactly. That's kind of how I see your marijuana thing. So it's kind of like, exactly. it's like I have a sensitive brain. I'm kind of doing this. So if I do this, here's the best thing that could come from it. Right. The worst thing, is it worth it? Right. Exactly. That's up to each person to decide. Exactly. Exactly. So really, like, looking at it, looking at it clearly. And if you eat pizza and you, like, vomit and have diarrhea yeah. after every time, yeah. then, you know, it's probably not wise. Like, if I'm... It's just, I mean, it's, it's just, like, also with non-monogamy, like, how much processing do you have to do right. versus how much sex do you actually get to have? Right. Like... <laughs> How, how many hours will, will I have a stomach ache for one hour after eating pizza? Will that like right. negate how much joy I had eating pizza? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Well, exactly. Right. My, wait, my right. friend called that phenomenon that phenomenon um, non-monogarithms, like the cost-benefit analysis oh, in your right. head of being like, is it worth it to like enter into this tryst? Right. If I have to do all this processing. Or, right. Or, right. Right. Um, wait, I have a question that's veering into that path which is I ask this everyone so I I was talking to some guy at some point and he had just dated two cartoonists I knew and he was heartbroken and he wanted to be my roommate and I think because he just saw me as one of their kind he was like Nicole I can't do it anymore I can't date another cartoonist like I I want to live with you no like he just wanted to be my roommate but he just was trying to like buddy down with me about how terrible it is to date cartoonists and I was just like I genuinely don't know what you're talking about because I don't. But so I ask you, Ellen Forney, what do you think it's like to date a cartoonist? Oh, God. Like, as a cartoonist who's dated people. Well, I mean, I, hmm. Uh, I mean, well, there's the thing where if you date anybody who does any art or in particular as a storyteller, I mm-hmm. would say there's a good chance that you will wind up in it. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. if you if you are if you are shy and you don't want to be, you know, painted, drawn, described, then that it would right. Uh, I don't. I don't. What's it like to? I don't know. What is it like to date a cartoonist? cartoonist? The question. Well, what's a cartoonist like? I mean, are they, are you like R. Crumb or something? <laughs> but wait, question, do you have like alliances with people that are like, don't write about me or don't write about this or this is off topic or like, are there things that you would not write about because you save that for yourself or it seems inappropriate or something? Well, um, there's certainly, I mean, other, other things that other people would find embarrassing if I'm not, if there's no reason for, like, if I'm not in the story to, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, if there's no reason. My mom is really the only one still that, you know, like, she'll be doing something not even embarrassing. You know, like, I don't, I don't even know what it would be. Maybe she yeah. would say, you know, like, I, uh, um, 
she uh, I can't even really I, yeah. she tripped she put she put a rock where rocks shouldn't be yeah. I don't know I don't even know <laughs> she put a rock where like, rocks shouldn't be she, she put, <laughs> I was just thinking of yeah. her in the garden like yeah, what yeah. would you do somebody in my head she's like <laughs> she's like what do I have a rock and she like picks it up like yeah. this, is, <laughs> this is what's going on in my head um, she'll be like, you're not going to make a comic out of this, are you? Oh, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> n- uh, no, actually. That's not, not, you're not like a bloopers show. Right. Um, yeah. Because you write, you've written about sex. Right. You've written about mental health. Right. You've written about your feelings. I mean, you could, you could ask Jake. <laughs> he's wound up, he's wound up in my comics. I like, I like, actually, I've, I don't like it, but I, I've never actually asked the person that dates a cartoonist. I always just want to know from a cartoonist perspective, like, <laughs> what do you think it's like to date a cartoonist? Most of them have said it seems like a pain in the ass in different ways. Well, but who would you say that, really? Right? I think I get along best with artists. That's what I think. Because I think mm-hmm. they understand that process of creation without taking it personally. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. But... Uh, Whenever I tell a story that involves me and other people, I'm always doing it just to tell my perspective of my story. Mm-hmm. I'm never telling it. I never want to like, embarrass somebody else or like, gotcha. Right. Or anything. I'm always trying to just tell things from my perspective. So when people in my life, such as your mom did to you, be like, don't draw a comic about this. I'm just like, I wouldn't do that. But do you know, the thing is that she always, she, she would love it. That's the thing, is that she's, she's saying, oh, you're not going to, you know, like... Oh, yeah. Kind of like a little fluttery, oh, you're not going to... Yeah. You know, like, whatever. You're not going to pick up the handkerchief that I dropped, are you? <laughs> Wait, you're going to put so much importance into our time together that you're going to spend hours and hours drawing me? Don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare. Right? Don't you dare. be so embarrassed. <laughs> but do give me a Actually, coffee. she does... She, she talks about... She makes the most of feeling... Of, of feeling. She doesn't. Well, of, uh, of um, uh, not embarrassment exactly, but um, maybe self-consciousness. Because, I mean, I've drawn her, she's, she's been in my comics mm-hmm. um, in, I was seven and 75. She smoked pot, mm-hmm. nudist camp, I draw her naked. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a lesbian. She's, uh, what? Wh- how else? I'm I'm trying to think of other other places that she's been, and other th- ways that I've presented her. She has said uh, we don't have the same last name. Mm-hmm. That she's glad that we don't have the same last name. But she says that um, you know it's she also. She's, she's, I don't want to say she's kidding when she says that, but she's so proud of me. And she just loves the, um, the kind of, um, the kind of, I I want to say work that I do. You know, Mm my, my mom, my mom was a Ms. Magazine subscriber Mm -hmm. from the first issue She's my big feminist influence. She went to med school when I was a kid. She was a pediatrician until she recently retired. Mm-hmm. She's, she's a big hero of mine. And I think um, that's a big deal to her, mm-hmm. too. Um, and, and I think it's clear that she has... You install or instill, I think, instill mm-hmm. <laughs> values in me that I've run with and share. Mm-hmm. And and she, so she kind of makes a show sometimes of feeling embarrassed that I'm so out mm-hmm. with that kind of being sex positive and that kind of thing. But she loves it. I mean, it's where yeah. I got a lot of that from to begin with. And your work is delightful. <laughs> you know, like it's never sex positive. Way. It's like I don't even know. You know, like. Yeah, so you're like drawing, you're drawing snuff porn or something. I shit on the mattress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> snuff porn. Yeah, you're doing like a snuff porn, like graphic memoir about being into um, feces. Wait, what is it? Scat. Sorry. Right. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Feces. 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 It's just it's always delightful. So I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. 
But so you did something brave, just to bring it back. You did something brave, which was to put out this book. And now here we are on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Have the benefits outweighed the costs <laughs> of the benefits of coming out and telling your story in public? Has that outweighed the actual? Um, I don't know downsides. Um, uh, yes, in a word, it's been amazing. It's really been amazing. It's been amazing in so many ways. Um, I've, I've, well, I mean, the book has done really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's reached a lot of people. It's a New York Times bestseller, is it not? Yes, it is. Um, thanks. I'll, I'll say it for you. <laughs> uh, I've heard from so many people. Like bipolar people who really identified and depressed and not and mothers who you know I, I've whose daughters it seems like a mother and daughters mm-hmm. that yeah, give people hope you know it's just an incredible feeling that way um, and then just on a personal level remember when I was talking about how terrifying it was to come out yeah. and, and how difficult it was to kind of dredge myself through my history and emotions and that kind of pain and, and mm-hmm. questioning. And, um, and look at me now, talking with you and having it, you know, like with your phone recording it and yeah. then it's going to... I'm like, I, I give... Being, being out um, is is uh and having that be a positive thing and reinforced and I'm it's not a secret and it's not it's it's an amazing feeling it's an amazing feeling I I I mean using the term come out is definitely what it feels like it was uh it was a lot easier for me to come out as bi than Mm -hmm. than come out as uh crazy Mm -hmm. um uh, there, if you think about all of the different coming out stories that that we've heard about people who are like in the closet for a really long time, and I'm thinking like being queer in mm-hmm. the closet for a really long time, and really feeling like there's such an important part of yourself that's that's not there that you're just kind of carrying around, mm-hmm. and then and then when you come out, and all of a sudden you you just feel uh, entire in a way, um, and um, and it just feels like such a relief. Yeah, like I almost it, it almost seems so natural, like like being queer, like hey, oh yeah. right, that was ever a thing, you know? Yeah. Like it feels kind of um, not a non-issue, but um, but something that that it doesn't feel like a weight in in that in that way. I kind of feel like with your book existing in the world it's helping more people it's it's normalizing it for more people or it's making it it's not you know it probably will help other people come out or feel like it's less of a big deal to come out well and do you know what the the marble after marbles came out i I just i just dove into this i guess there's this whole field of comics and medicine that i had no idea about graphic medicine graphic medicine exactly um, I am. I don't think I told you this. I'm doing a. Um, I'm curating a traveling exhibit for the National Library of Medicine. Cool. On graphic memoirs. Cool. Um, and there is a lot of uh, uh, very needed emphasis going on right now about destigmatizing mental illness, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of what helps that happen is people coming out. I mean, it was the same mm-hmm. thing with, you know, like you homosexuality is like people coming out and being like, Oh my God, the CEO is gay. Oh my yeah. God. You know, my lawyer is gay. Um, and, and so coming out and coming out is really hard. And so anyone who can be out, um, I think it's, uh, it's an important step and w- it helps have other people, out. So my being able to be out and yeah. being kind of loud about being out yeah. feels um, uh, it feels very worthwhile to me. And the feedback that I've gotten from others just kind of reinforces that. That's so so that's been an amazing feeling too. Yeah. 
changing the world. <laughs> One crazy person at a One time. One crazy comic reader at a time. Yeah. It's, I mean, I just, I feel like even giving that book as a gift to somebody I know who struggled with mental illness, I felt so happy that I could give that to them so they could see their experience reflected back and be like, yes, this is normal. Like this person made this book and this is my story. And like, it's somebody I identify with and who I think is cool. And like, you know, not somebody from the sixties who's getting electroshock treatment or something. Right, then, right, right. It's like, and then our life was over. It's just, it's awesome. Anyway, do you have last minute uh, advice for young cartoonists? Anything at all? Hand letter. Hmm. That would be, that would be my, that would be, and maybe should I just leave it at that? I could go on and on about hand lettering and why it's important. And why is it? I th- I find that uh, my publisher, everyone around me, kind of does a collective groan when they're like, "Are you still doing hand lettering?" And I'm like, "I sure am," because it makes editing so much harder than if I just made a font. <laughs> but I see it as part of the page, and I see it as part of the piece of art that each page is. Um. I, I think that turning it into a font is, um, wait, I, I, I think I'm going to, ra- rather than be negative that way, one of the things that you, hand lettering is a tool. Hand lettering is a tool that we have in comics. It makes, uh, it makes our, it makes it very, it makes the text more immediate to the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more, more like a, like a letter like a letter, like a handwritten mm-hmm. letter from, mm-hmm. from a friend, say. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hand-lettered font just imitates that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, everybody does tell. this thing, like, look at the Gs, compare the Gs, or, or like, the spacing is funny. Yeah. You know, it's always, it's, it's, it's inevitably kind of weird. Um, and um, it's just as an expressive tool, being able to make to scrunch some words, make the O's come together, mm-hmm. make some of the words really big and in all caps and fit into the, into the text balloons in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's an expressive tool that um, someone who's using a font is f- flouting. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel the same way about page design. What do you mean? Um, uh, I've pretty rarely use a grid. I um, oh, you mean oh, you mean a grid? You mean like panels? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, I use panels. Um, I um, see again. It's not like it's not like this. Is, I, 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 it's a tool. It's yeah. an expressive tool. I so, make them work for me. I don't work for well, them. Well, but you also you use open panels and you make big panels, and so you yeah, have, you at least work with the panel shape and size. They have to serve my story and also right. my whim that day because I get bored very easily. I, I, I really like to play with the design a lot. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it, it just, it is part of how to tell a story visually. Yeah. There, those, are, those are tools. Those are part of the, your like visual toolbox. Yeah. And, and um, and uh, if you don't use them, it should be a, uh, like a conscious decision not to use them. But I think the the um, that the reasoning of not using uh, of the reasoning of using a hand lettering font mm-hmm. as a time saver mm-hmm. is I, I just can't hang with that. That to me is lazy. Anything that's a time saver. I am suspicious of. Well, I mean, if it's a time saver and it and it and it's and it doesn't impact the expressiveness, yeah. Uh, then you know. Well, I mean, some things I thought about, like, oh, what if I had just printed out all of my page borders ahead of time instead of hand doing each page border? That would be a nice time saver. I didn't do that. But oh, I highly recommend that. Well, I'm big on templates. Too late for me now. <laughs> it's too late. I've already, I've, already, I've already cut myself loose. I'm in the ocean. Anyway, okay, well, I yeah. could go on, but should I just leave it at that? Hand letter? Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Hand letter. Young It's cartoonist? getting more and more rare, isn't it? It is getting more and more rare, but I did just hear Dan Klaus on Fresh Air saying he could spot non-hand lettering a mile away and that yeah. he likes to hand letter. Yeah. So. Well, I think I, it's, it, it makes a big 
difference. It really, really makes a big difference. Well, um, Ellen Forty, thanks for talking to me for Sagittarian Matters. Again, you uh, talked oh, to me right, in right, my right. car. In your car, in a yeah. shadowy parking lot. In a shadowy parking lot. So now we're in a well-lit dining room. And right. Thanks for the burrito. Right. Well, you are very, very welcome. It's so awesome to see you. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sagittarian Matters. If you would like advice on a future podcast, call our hotline and leave a message. 971-361-9998. You can even disguise your voice if you'd like. In fact, we insist.